So awesome. Uh, open up to Acts chapter 16. Last week we started, and <laughs> this week we're ending, a series on calling. And if you were here last week or if you've listened to the podcast, um, you know I, I don't even want to really call it calling, but that's the best way to, to kind of explain it. But um, we talked about, you know, what are you supposed to do with your life? What is, what is God's call on your life? And we're going to dig into that more tonight. But um, we talked about how last week God doesn't call us necessarily or usually through a magic moment, through a, a Moses and the burning, excuse me, and the burning bush kind of moment. He, he's already calling you in a way that's even more reliable or, or just as clear through your passions, your talents, and your opportunities, right? That's how he's equipping you. And we used the Old Testament and Moses last week to show us that. But now we want to look at the New Testament in the book of Acts, chapter 16, uh, to talk through Paul's story in founding the church at Philippi to see what happens when those doors stay closed, right? What happens when you have a calling and the door stays closed? And what you'll find is the door's actually not still closed in, in a certain way. And let me just take a side road here. Um, speaking of the book of Acts, we have a college Sunday school class that most of you, but not all, have, have been to, and I want to encourage you. Um, we're finishing the book of Job, which has just been awesome. Um, we're finishing that up uh, later this month, and then in the book of uh, in the book in the month of May, we will start the book of Acts. Okay, and in in Sunday school, we just take it just like we do up here: is we go a few verses at a time through an entire book. Let me explain it. Let's talk about what it means. Let's explain it. Let's talk about what it means. We're probably going to spend roughly a year in Acts. It's uh. What is it, 28 chapters, right? So it's going to take a little bit of time, but we're, we're super pumped for that. And, and so I would encourage you, especially as you, as you lean into to our way of doing this uh, and to our way of going through the Bible piece by piece, there is just an awesome growth that takes place. Like you guys have been through Mark and that sort of thing. I remember like with, with Ty and Alexa and some of you guys, we Zoomed literally on Zoom, not fast, like we were on Zoom, through the book of Revelation, and, and we did that, and that was, going through the book of Revelation is something, going through it on Zoom during a pandemic is, was so awesome, actually, so, but I do, I want to encourage you guys to, to check out Sunday School, um, it, we meet at 9.50, 9.50 on Sunday mornings, upstairs in the fellowship hall, so if you have, if you have questions about that, please, please let me know, um, Acts chapter 16, 9 through 10 is where we'll start. Acts 16, 9 through 10. We're going to read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk, and think about God's calling on your life. Acts 16, 9 through 10. During the night, Paul had a vision, that's nice, of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this is what we've been waiting for, right? This is a college kid's dream, a clear calling from God on someone's life. Paul literally receives a vision for what he's, go do this. That's super helpful, right? But let's take a second, and let me take a second, and remind you, you think it would be, and I think, you think, we think it would be clearer if God gave us a vision. Like if he just one night in a dream just gave you a vision, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. Man, it would be nice if God gave me a vision. Listen, look at me and listen. 
Understand that by giving you talents, by giving you passions, by giving you opportunities, God is being clearer with you that way than any vision ever could be. Now listen to what I just said. Through, through giving you and equipping you with talent, passion, with passion, talent, and opportunity, God is being clearer with you that way about what you, what you should do and what you're supposed to do than any vision ever could be. A vision is great. I mean, I, I mean I'm not speaking from experience, but like a vision I'm sure is great, but you don't always see how that vision will be accomplished. Does that make sense? Like you see the vision, but you don't really know how you're going to get there. Maybe you won't even believe that it was real. But by giving you passions and talents and open doors, God is giving you the vision and the tools you need to complete it. He's giving you the destination and the road that leads there. Does that make sense? He's giving you both. Don't look at your life as normal or boring because he didn't use a burning bush moment to talk to you. He has already given you more than that. He's already given you more than that through equipping you with passions and talents and opportunities. Remember, the burning bush that Moses received was just confirming the things God was already working in Moses' heart. The burning bush wasn't even the calling. The calling has already taken place. Moses already wanted to set Israelites free. He already had the talent that was being developed in him as a shepherd and as a military leader. All he needed left was the opportunity, which is when Pharaoh died. And so God was just confirming all of that. Moses already had the calling. He's already given you everything you need. And then verse 10 again. Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. A clear calling from God. Go to Macedonia, build my church. That's the calling, just like on our lives. But Paul is about to learn something that we must begin to learn. And some of you maybe are already on this path. Listen, and I wrote it in bold so you know it's important. The shortest path and God's path are often two different things. The shortest path and God's path are often two different things. One quick example of this back in Exodus again is where they flee Egypt and, and God works them down to Mount Sinai. By the time they get to Mount Sinai, they're actually further away from the promised land than they were when they were in Egypt. It's almost like God is doing something in them before he gets them to the destination. This is the source of a lot of our frustration, right? We've received the calling, whatever it may be. We have a passion to do something. We have the talent to pursue it and the opportunities to grow it, but it's just not happening. The door we need is just not opening. Or, and watch this, college, the door will open and you'll step through the door and then you get surrounded by peers that maybe you constantly disagree with. And that stifles your passion instead of growing it. Again, you've got everything you need. It's just not going anywhere. And we think, God, you gave me this calling. Where's the fruit? Where's the fulfillment? Get me there. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be an accountant, but I'm working at the mall. Or I'm supposed to be working at the mall, but there's no job opening right now. Or you brought me to this job, and now I'm surrounded by people who don't want me here. 
or who are trying to put my fire out instead of adding to it. Why isn't this, God, God, why isn't this happening? Listen, it is happening. Do you follow me? God, why isn't this happening? It is happening. But you're confusing the shortest path with God's path. Does that make sense? It is happening. But you are confusing, I am confusing the shortest path with God's path, and those two things are not always the same. Let's look at Paul. His calling, his mission is to build the church in Macedonia, and he goes in with guns blazing. Look at 16, 14 through 15. One of those listening to Paul's sermon was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Paul begins to preach the gospel in Macedonia, that's the region, in a city called Philippi. Philippians, right? There you go. Um, and a woman named Thyatira, from, uh, from Thyatira named Lydia has her heart opened by the Lord. Salvation is a miracle of God, right? And this was part of God's calling on Paul, right? Build my church. Go to Macedonia, preach the gospel. I'll back you up. And it works. Lydia is born again. And here's the other thing. Lydia's from Thyatira, which is about 240 miles from Philippi. So she's way far from home. Lydia's husband is not mentioned, so she probably doesn't have one. She's far from home and her business is mentioned, which means she's probably very wealthy. It wasn't easy to make purple fabric particularly in the ancient world. And she sells it, which means she's probably got a lot. And then in verse 15, she asks Paul and Silas to stay with her but they wouldn't travel 240 miles back to Thyatira, which means she's probably got a house in Philippi. She probably has multiple houses, okay? The lake house was not a new invention, right? This is her, she's got a vacation home in Philippi. She's doing very well. Paul now has a headquarters set up in Macedonia to preach the gospel from, a place to stay. And it's probably a nice one based on this. He gets, he gets the guest cottage, right? God's calling was clear, and times are easy. And listen, it'll be the same thing with you sometimes, and with me, and with everybody. Sometimes things are just going really well in your job. You're enjoying it. You're getting along with the people that you work with. You love what you're doing. You're getting lost in projects in the best way. Enjoy those times. It's a blessing. It really is. So enjoy that. And then God leads Paul into uncharted territory and things are not as clear. Look at 16 through 24. 16 through 24. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become, this is awesome, Paul becoming greatly annoyed, like how spiritual of him. Paul, becoming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they've been disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul was on his way to the place of meeting again. Same place that Thyatira was converted, or golly, that Lydia was converted probably. On his, now listen, on his way to the church that God had commanded him to build, on his way to fulfill his calling, Paul was pursuing his calling. On his way, they meet a demon-possessed girl who supposedly told people's futures and was being exploited for money. I can only imagine how dark that was. And Paul rebukes the demon, and the girl is now freed. Another victory in Paul's life as part of building the church of Macedonia. Listen, another victory for following his calling. But her owners become furious and get Paul and Silas in trouble for damaging their business and for proclaiming a religion contrary to Rome. Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in jail. Now think about this. Paul, who has followed his calling to help this girl, to build the church. He followed the road God gave him, and it led him to prison. Paul has in no way deviated from what God has asked him to do. When things go wrong in our lives, that's the first question we have. What did I do wrong? What have, how have I deviated? How have I gone wrong? God has led Paul to prison. Do you see that? Paul has in no way deviated from God's calling and it has led him to prison. God has led Paul to prison. Talk about a roadblock on the way to your calling, getting beaten and thrown in jail. Or is it? Or is it? Prison is not the shortest path Paul can take to fulfilling his calling. But it's part of God's path to fulfilling his calling. Verses 24 through 26. When the jailer received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Paul and Silas are in what's called the inner cell. It's not just the prison, it's a part of the prison. It is the deepest part of the prison, likely underground. They're not just in jail. They're in jail underground. It is impossible to break out, okay? Now listen, did Paul want to get out of prison? Yeah, he's human. Of course he wants to get out of prison. But he realizes that he's been following God's call and there's nothing he can do to get out of there. And we have to understand that sometimes, I should have put this in bold and I didn't listen, we have to understand, you and I have to understand sometimes. Ready? We have to understand sometimes. God will put you in situations that you are not supposed to get out of. God, in His love, in His goodness, in His caring for you and me, will put us sometimes in situations we are not supposed to get out of. 
Um, there's that scene when John the Baptist is thrown into prison and he sends word to Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus sends word back to John, tell, them that the, tell John that the, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear. He's quoting from Isaiah, okay? In, in other words, to say, I'm fulfilling all the prophecies of the one. I am the one. The last quote in that prophecy in Isaiah is, the prisoners are let free. And Jesus leaves that out. Not to say that he doesn't set people free, but, what, but where's John in that moment? In prison. It's Jesus' way of saying, I am the one you're looking for. And my will is for you to stay there. And in the same way in our lives, God put you there. You followed your calling. You followed his way. And you're in a season of extended singleness because of it. Or you're in a part-time job that you don't really like, but you need the money and there are no other opportunities right now. We need to understand that sometimes we cry out, listen, we need to understand that sometimes we cry out to God and say, what did I do to end up here? And God will say, you did exactly what I told you. And you're right where you're supposed to be. What did I do to end up here? Exactly what I told you. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. This is why Paul and Silas can worship here. Because they trust God's power and his sovereignty. He has put them in this situation. Listen, he's the one bolting the door so that they can't get out. Think about the amazing comfort you would feel if you were a persecuted Christian and you were captured and thrown in jail, but as the door closed behind you, you turned around and through your eyes, you saw that it was Jesus who was the one locking it. And he looks up at you and your eyes meet. And in that moment, you knew that he was going to be with you. And he's going to get you through this and you're right where you're supposed to be. The Bible is telling us in this text, in these moments where you are in a situation and you don't know why, where you are in a place that you can't open the door to get out, while you're pushing on that door and you can't get out, the Bible's telling us that God is the one on the other side. He's the one holding it closed. Now listen, and his hands that he uses to hold that door closed, they have nail holes in them because he loves you and it's not the right time yet. The same hands that are of God that are holding that door closed saying, no, I'm not letting you out of this bad situation right now. Those hands are the same hands that hung on Calvary. So you know they're good intentions. You know he loves you while he holds this door closed. And you see, this leads to frustration in our lives. Listen, because and, and when Jesus tells us, I love you and it's not the right time yet, this leads to frustration in our lives because we love the right time more than we love God. We love the right time more than we love God. I'm done waiting. Instead, we should do what Paul and Silas do here. We should say, Lord, I've got this passion that you gave me. I've got this talent that you gave me. And if you were faithful enough to give me this passion and this talent, you'll be faithful enough to open the door when it's time. 
If you were faithful enough to give, when I didn't ask for it, you gave me this passion. When I didn't ask for it, you gave me this talent. So why am I all of a sudden doubting that you're going to open the door when it's time? Or you'll be faithful to guide me to a new door when it's time. This is what Paul is doing in his worship here. Lord, you brought me here. You'll get me out when it's time. There is no figuring out confusion. Theological bomb, right? There is no way to figure out confusion. That's why it's called confusion. So listen to me, college student, overanalyzer. Stop trying to figure it out. It's called confusion. There's no way. I wish this tornado would calm down. It's a tornado. What is, this, what is it supposed to do? I wish this confusion, I wish I could figure out this confusion in my life. Maybe you're not supposed to figure it out. You can't. Sometimes the greatest comfort in confusion is knowing that God is the one who led you into the confusion. Does that make sense? Instead of trying to figure out the confusion, sometimes we have to worshipfully, and that's what worship is, is accepting that the comfort in our confusion is knowing that God's the one who led us into the confusion. Sometimes the only comfort in a season of waiting is knowing that God is the one who led you into the season of waiting. Paul and Silas aren't looking for a way out. They're not looking for a key. There is no, it's prison. There's no key. There's no way out. And in our own lives, so many of us are looking for a way out of the place that God has put us. Like imagine how crazy Paul and Silas would go if they were trying to break out of the inner set. Like you're not getting out of here. They would go crazy trying to break out. And for some of us, we're in a season of life where God has placed us and we're trying to get out. But there is no way out. And by design, he's got us in here for a reason. He's doing a work. Sometimes God leads us into a room where there is no way out because he's doing a work in us. Sometimes God leads us into a room where there is no way out because he's doing a work in us. In us. Like, imagine if you were being wheeled into surgery and you were looking up, all right, how am I supposed to get out of here? You're not supposed to get out of here. Why do you think they brought you in the room in the first place? To do something. Does that make sense? He's wheeling you into surgery and we're, we're looking for a way out. We talked about this several years ago. We talked about in Ecclesiastes how there's a time for everything, there's a season for everything. And so often we're trying to break out of the season that God has us in. Sometimes God doesn't give us magic answers. Listen, because we, we love and worship answers more than we love and worship Him. Sometimes God doesn't give us magic answers because we love and worship answers more than we love and worship Him. And He's trying to get that out of us. You see, even in confusion, if, if all this is true, if this, work, if this room is supposed to be closed and he's the one who wheeled us into surgery in the first place, that means even in confusion, his hand is still on you, which means even confusion is part of your calling. Even the confusion you're in is part of your calling. You haven't deviated from your calling. He hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel. This is part of your calling. With God, confusion and darkness don't damage your calling. They only deepen it. With God, confusion and darkness don't damage your calling. They can only deepen it. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this. 
1 Thessalonians 4.3. Listen, and you know what? Let's turn there because I want to give you a second because you need to see this. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, okay? says this. This is God's will for you. Here it comes. All right, college kids. This is God's will for you. God, what's, what's, what's the will for my life? Who am I going to marry? What's the job? Where's the, where's the house? What's going on? Where's, when am I graduating? What's going on? Why won't my roommate turn their music down? Do I have to have the alcohol? All right, what is, this is God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is God's will for you. Your sanctification. This is God's will for you. Your sanctification. You know, the Greek word for sanctification is not marriage. The Greek word for sanctification is not job. This is God's will for you, your marriage. This is God's will for you, your job. No, it's that you look like him. God's will for your life, his will for your life is not your marriage or your job. It's that you look like him. And if he has to take that job from you, if he has to frustrate that marital pursuit so that you look more like him, that's what he'll do. Because that is his mission in your life. Some of us are terrified of what to do with our lives, but we've been in college four years and we've never joined a church. Or we're preoccupied with who we're going to date, but we haven't touched our Bibles in months. Listen, and I'm not trying to wag the finger, but I'm, I'm serious. What kind, of, what kind of a spouse will you be if you walk into the marriage worshiping your spouse instead of God? You're going to crush your spouse. They're going to resent you. So in worshiping your spouse, you're actually hurting them. What kind of an employee will you be if you've been worried about getting a job for so long that when you finally get it, you don't have the emotional or spiritual maturity to keep that job because you have no foundation? See, by making his ultimate goal for us our sanctification, he's making you the spouse you've always wanted to be. He's making you the employee that everyone would want. Like, C.S. Lewis talks about if you go after the world instead of Jesus, you'll lose the world. You, you won't be able to get it. It'll slip through your fingers. But if you go for Jesus instead of the world, you'll get Jesus and the world thrown in. Does that make sense? The only way to be a good spouse is to love Jesus more than you love your spouse. And I don't say that flippantly. That takes unpacking for sure, but, but it's not untrue. The only way to be the best employee you can be is to love Jesus more than your job. Because if you love your job more than Jesus, you'll start making, you'll start making concessions and you'll start folding on things you shouldn't fold on and you'll start making excuses. Like in the old school when you took a picture and the picture doesn't come right out, right? Like way back in the day, like 2010, right? Like when you took a picture, the picture didn't come right out. It has to be developed in the film room first. Talk about a detour. It's a dark room and the picture is like submerged in this liquid solution. But you know what's happening to the picture. How many of you, I wonder, would say, in my life right now, it's dark and I feel like I'm drowning? Same as that picture. Theological bomb, God loves you too much to drown you. So when he submerges you, he must be doing something else. 
He must be developing your soul. Elizabeth Elliot uh, married Jim Elliot through Gates of Splendor. Stephen Kerr's Chapman song is super awesome. Um, so Elizabeth Elliot was with a friend of hers in Scotland one time who was a farmer, and the sheep would get like lice and ticks and stuff on their, on their coat or whatever you want to call it. And he, I don't know, I don't do farming, whatever. And so he takes, and so the farmer would take all the sheep and line them up and have this, this like vat of antiseptic, and he has to dunk them in three times to wash all it off and then send them out. And Elizabeth Elliot had been through a lot of suffering in her life. And the farmer, as he's dunking, because I mean, you think about it, the sheep have no idea what's going on. They have no idea that this is actually for their good. And the farmer said, I wonder what these sheep are thinking right now. And Elizabeth Elliot said, I know. Because that's what God had been doing, had been, had been helping her and growing her, but it had been a long road. And she felt like that sheep being dunked under the water. What are you doing? Like, what is the sheep looking at the farmer saying? Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is the only way that I can protect you. This is how I can save you. This is how I can develop you. Jared Wilson says, some people say when God closes a door, he opens a window. And that's true. But sometimes when God closes a door, he doesn't open a window. Sometimes God closes the door because he wants you inside when the roof collapses. Listen, he wants to show you that Christ is enough. He wants to show you Christ is enough. I know that Jesus is more important than my job. You won't know that until you go without a job. I know Jesus is more important than who I'm going to marry. You won't know that until he puts you in that season of singleness. And you don't have that clear picture of who you're going to marry. Now you get to know that he's enough. Acts chapter 16, 26 through 30. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains were loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all still here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul was called to Macedonia to grow the church. That's his calling. First, God sent Paul to a river, and the church grew. Then God put Paul on his morning commute to meet a girl who was in trouble, and the church grew. Then God sent Paul to prison in the deepest part with a vindictive jailer. And guess what? The church grew. This darkness, listen, this darkness and confusion was not taking away from God's call on Paul's life. This darkness only happened because of the calling. It happened because there was a jailer down in the deepest part of the prison where no one could get but God. And so God went and got him. Now the church of Macedonia has a story to tell. A story that says our pastor got thrown in jail and the church grew. So what are you going to do now? They would never have this story without the darkness and confusion. Just like in your life, a calling is like a painting. And paintings that are only bright colors, they have no depth. 
There's no weight to them. The beauty is not as deep. They're missing those dark sections. Listen, you will fail. Take it from me and Ty and Paul and Jackson and Olivia. You will fail in your calling. Like you're going to blow it and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I could do it this bad. You know what I'm saying? There will be prisons in your calling, dark times in your calling. You will mess it up like you never thought possible. But with God in your calling, failure will only further his work in your life. Failure will only further his work in your life if you're trying to follow the Lord during this time. Let me close with this. Paul talks about in Romans, he says, we are more than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? Like you conquer them, that's it. How can you be more than a conqueror? The only way you can be more than a conqueror is that if everything the enemy does actually helps you. That's how, like a conqueror conquers the enemy. You fight and you win. You're a conqueror. More than a conqueror. How is that possible? The only way you can be more than a conqueror is if everything the enemy does actually ends up working for you. Every, if, if, if God is in your calling, then those dark seasons will only deepen you further, make you better at it, make you more seasoned. But, but more than that, remember, God's will for you is not to be the best employee you can be. That, that may be a subset, but the root is he wants you to look like him. So even the failures in your calling will result in God's will for your life getting better you're going to look more like him. You may lose that job, but you'll come out of it looking more like him. You may lose something important to you, but you'll come out of it looking more like him. That's the ultimate goal. And even in that darkness, failure will only further his work in your life. It will only make you a better spouse, a better employee. Failure will only further his work in your life. Let's pray together.